Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 23. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 23. We're finishing up this series, just a few more messages left of the Gospel Record of Luke. And now we come to the most important event the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary. At this time, we've watched as Jesus Christ has made his triumphant entry. He has preached daily inside of the temple, whereas the Pharisees crossed a line where they were no longer attempting just to discredit Jesus or to get him to be quiet or to steal away his followers, but instead they are now planning on murdering him. The problem is, is that Jesus was always surrounded by multitudes of crowds, always surrounded by tons of people around him, and the Pharisees couldn't see a way of being able to arrest Jesus without also causing a riot of the people. They found their answer when G Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, of Jesus, betrayed Jesus, and showed the Pharisees how they could get to Jesus without the crowds. Jesus Christ gathered his disciples and observed the Last Supper and gave them instructions, followed up with the walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. There at the Garden of Gethsemane in the late hours of the night, early morning, Jesus Christ prayed and and uh, as he prayed, he prayed so fervently and so passionately that he sweat great drops of blood. What happened to the capillaries inside of his um, skin began to burst. That um, loose blood began to mix with the sweat glands. And as he was sweating so passionately and fervently, that blood mixed in with the sweat and began to roll down his face. As a medical thing, this is starting to cause a couple things. First of all, he is starting to suffer through dehydration. Second of all, it has caused the flesh of his skin to go ahead and be fragile. In addition, Jesus Christ was <coughs> arrested put on a false trial, lied against, and then he was brought before Pilate. There, there was an issue between Pilate and the Pharisees that Pilate had examined Jesus and found that there was nothing wrong with him. In order to save Jesus' life, Pilate ordered Jesus to be scourged. And they took a cat of nine tails, which was a whip that um, had nine straps. At the end of the straps... Uh, they would have hooks and glass, metal, something. And what would happen is that as they would take the whip and lash it across the bare back of its victim, those hooks and glass would actually catch into the skin and tear it open. The first century historian Josephus said after just one lashing, a person could take their finger and actually touch the bone of the victim. And Jesus Christ was whipped. His back looked like hamburger meat. He was abused. He was already suffering through dehydration. And now more of that precious fluid began to flow down 
his body. And he began to lose uh, more volume of blood. They mocked him some more. And the other gospel records show that he actually put on a different robe. They Earlier they put on a gorgeous robe. Then they put on another robe and portrayed him before the people. What would happen is that this robe began to sop up the blood. And as it began to coagulate and as it began to try to uh, stop bleeding. When they took that robe off it actually reopened those wounds to cause him to bleed lead afresh. And with this now is Jesus Christ has been growing weaker because of the loss of blood within his body. Let's pick it up in the gospel record of Luke chapter 23. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23 and notice with me in verse 26. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23 and verse number 26. And as they laid led him away, they laid upon one Simeon, or Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he may bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves, and for your children. For behold the days are coming. In the which they shall say. Blessed are the barren. And the wombs that never bear. And the paps which never gave suck. And they shall begin to say to the hills. Fall on us. And to the or mountains fall on us. And to the hills cover us. For if they do these things on a green tree. What should be done in the dry. And there are also Two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. 
And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and all the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And if you have it of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke in chapter 23? The gospel record of Luke chapter 23, and notice with me in verse 33, the place which is called Calvary. The place which is called Calvary. And with the Lord's help, we're going to preach about Calvary here. This place which was called Calvary. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you this morning, we know that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world. But unto us, Lord, it is the power of God, even into the salvation. We know that we've had an entertaining morning, but now, Lord, as we come and we're asking things to be calmed down, that our hearts and our minds would be attuned to you, that in our mind's eye we could see this historical event and we could see what a big deal this was. I'm asking that you would help us to set things in order, help us to have a good understanding of this passage Lord, that you would get victories in our lives, Lord, as we stand at the foot of the cross and look and see why you died for us, to look at the suffering and shame that you endured, and you did it because you loved us. Lord, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Fill me with your spirit and put power in your message today. Bless your word even now as it does its work. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come into this passage, we know that there's already been some events occurred. And as we've been said at the introduction, that there's already been a lot of loss of blood within the Lord Jesus Christ. His body is already starting to feel the effects of what is called hypovolemic shock. Hypo means low, volemic means volume. So he is starting to suffer through the effects of hypovolemic shock. As we start this account on the way to Calvary, we see this, the way to the cross. The way to the cross. Notice with me in verse number 26. It says, And as they led him, Jesus, away, they laid a hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he may bear it to Jesus. Now a condemned man would usually carry their own cross. And as they would carry their cross, people would look at him and say, this is someone who was going to die. However, Jesus Christ had been scourged before this occurred. Now, as a point of reference, when people went to the cross, when criminals were crucified, they were not scourged. The cross was a, an excruciating event by itself. Jesus Christ was scourged because Pilate was attempting to save his life. But 
Jesus had suffered almost two death sentences back to back. The scourging, followed by the mocking and the making fun of, all the way up to the cross. So Jesus Christ, as he was carrying his cross, because of the hypovolemic shock, he's already lost so much blood, that Jesus Christ collapsed. His human body collapsed under the weight of the cross. Remember, Jesus Christ is just as human as you and I are. He was also 100% God. But he felt the effects. He knew what it was to be tired, to weary. He knew what it was like to have his body fail him. And so they recruited a man by the name of Sinus Serene. Hey you, some onlooker who is watching. You come here. We want you to carry the cross. Now can you imagine that feeling? Normally criminals carried their own cross. It was very unusual to have someone else carry the cross for them. And so now he is suffering part of that. People are like, what'd this guy do? And they're looking at him. We know that history tells us that Siren of Serene later became saved. Uh, after all, wouldn't you want to know about the guy that you were carrying the cross to? And he became saved. His son Rufus came to be an, a leader in the early, uh, Rufus and Alexander. Both of them became disciples of Christ and um, early members of the church. But this was a big deal. Cyrene um, was... Uh, <coughs> Some people believe that this was Simon of Niger who became a very important member of the church of Antioch later on. Interesting as God put it together. And so this man was pulled to help Jesus carry the cross. Notice with me in verse number 27. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. So as he followed Simon was now carrying the cross. Jesus was being led to the cross. Following behind Jesus was a huge crowd of people, including a huge crowd of women. One interesting fact is that no woman in the Bible was ever recorded to oppose Jesus Christ. Think about that. It was only men who was recorded in the Bible to oppose Jesus. The women are speaking of very highly how they stuck with him. Even at the end of the story, who's there with him? The disciples have all scattered. It's the ladies who are there, faithful, even to the end of watching over Jesus Christ. So this company of women and company of people bewailed and lamented him. Jesus turns around to them and begins to give a prophecy of an upcoming war with Rome. He said, but Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed be the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps that never gave suck. Then they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall, or, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall they do in a dry tree? Now because of the rejection of the Hebrew people against Jesus Christ, that what's going to happen is that they're going to spark one rebellion too many, and Rome is going to declare war on them. And in 70 AD, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, and the temple is going to be leveled. A couple years later, Rome is going to finish off the job at the mountainside of Masada, where they're going to destroy the rest of the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people are going to be scattered throughout the world, never to be regathered together in a complete sense until the millennial kingdom in the future. But this is a big event and Jesus is turning and gives this prophecy about this upcoming war on Rome. Now as they go to the hill of 
Calvary. Notice what occurs, verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors, criminals, led with him to be put to death. So as Jesus Christ is being crucified, two other men are being crucified to him, one on the left and one on the right. And when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other to the left. Now at this time, Jesus Christ is already suffering through hypovolemic shock. He's bleeding from the wounds of <clears throat> of the scourging earlier. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's been beaten. His beard has been plucked out and chunks of flesh have been pulled with it. His face has been battered so badly that according to the prophecy in the book of Isaiah that you couldn't even tell that he was a man anymore. He's so bruised, so battered, cheeks swollen, eyes are almost swollen shut. He looks awful. And then they put him up on the cross. When they put someone up on the cross, they would nail their hands together. Back in the ancient world, the wrist was considered part of the hands. And the Romans would nail spikes that would go in about five to seven inches all the way through. As it would go through the wrist, inside of here is what is called the median nerve. It is the most sensitive nerve in the body. And it runs all the way through the elbow. Oftentimes we could hit it just right get that bad tingle in our arm and we'll say that we'll hit our funny bone. Well, there's nothing funny about it when you hit that nerve just right. Well, when they're piercing the <clears throat> spikes into his wrist, it's just like taking a pair of pliers and twisting on that nerve, the electrical shock running through your body as they hammered it all the way through. It became an awful, awful thing. As the spikes would be put on his wrist, spikes would also be put on his feet. And then they would put him up on the cross. As they put him up on the cross, what would happen now is that the person would be laying against the cross. A criminal would be um, put up on the cross without a stitch of clothing, embarrassed and humiliated before the world. And in order for someone who is on the cross to take a breath, normally their chest cavity is folded over against themselves. In order to take a deep breath, they would have to pull up with their hands and push up with their feet. What would happen then is they would pull up the spike that was in their wrist would begin to grind against that bone and twist that nerve even more. That person would take a breath and then sag back down. What made things worse for Jesus is because he just finished being scourged. His back is exposed. It looked like hamburger meat. And the cross that he was on was not nice, smooth, sanded wood. But it would be full of splinters and spikes. And in order for him to take a breath, his back, which is exposed. Remember, you could even take and touch the rib with your finger. That is, he would take a breath, his back would slide up and down in that wood and dive that wood even further inside of his body. They would invent a brand new term for this death to describe the pain. It is called excruciating. The word excruciating means, literally means out of the cross. He is in great pain. As the cross is put into the ground, the arms would be pulled 
and stretched out six inches in length as his shoulders become dislocated. And because they're dislocated, it would feel like glass rubbing on each other when he would have to pull up to take a breath. Just his arms are now stretched out. His arms are out of the socket, full of pain. But his work is not done yet. We saw the way to the cross. Now let's see the work of the cross. The work of the cross. Pick it up with me in verse number 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As Jesus Christ is an excruciating pain, his thoughts go to forgiving those who are at the point in time murdering him. Could you imagine that? That as they're hammering in the spikes, as they put him up on the cross, as he feels his arms pulling out of socket, as that wood drives into his open back, as he's feeling the worst pain anyone has ever felt on earth, he says, Father, forgive them. This is an interesting and important statement because Jesus Christ's forgiveness goes a long way. In the book of Acts chapter number 2, many of these people who were there at the cross got saved as part of that 3,000 people who got saved. As Peter looks around the crowd and says, you put him up on the cross as many of them were present and part of this event. Jesus Christ's forgiveness even went to those who were murdering him in an active sense. What great forgiveness that Jesus has. He's willing to forgive anyone and everyone. Even those who were crucifying him. Of course the Roman soldiers who are cold and callous. They're used to people dying. Notice what they do. They parted his garment and cast lots. Now this is a different study in itself. But the clothes that Jesus wore was a seamless cloak. It was an important cloak because it identified him just by looking at his clothes. Identified him as a teacher and a master. You see, it's so important that this was a prophecy made a thousand years beforehand about what he would wear. Again, a whole different study in itself. But it does matter what you wear. If God makes a prophecy about what someone's wearing and what's going to happen to them, it does matter what you wear. Well, the Roman soldiers, they parted his raiment and cast lots. By the way, they did this in front of Jesus as a way to mock him. If you could look down and see a cloak that identified you as status, your status as a teacher, and they're gambling over it and said, who's going to get this? Who's going to have this garment of this teacher that we're crucifying? And they're gambling in front of him. Notice if you don't mind as it goes on in verse 35. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers, meaning the rulers of the Pharisees, also with him derided him saying, He saved others? Let him save himself. If he be Christ or the Messiah, the chosen of God. Now the religious rulers, they're getting their victory. This is what they've been working towards. The one who's been bothering them these last three and a half years, he's done. He's over with. And they are there to jeer. I've never let, uh, told you so, get away. They are there. They have won. 
Can you imagine is Jesus dying on the cross? Going through the worst pain any person has ever felt. That taking a breath is driving these spikes further into his open wounds. He is losing blood rapidly. He's watching people gamble. And he can't even die in peace. The Pharisees are there yelling. Mocking. You'd almost think they would lose their voice after getting through yelling at Herod earlier, telling him to crucify. You'd almost think they would lose their voice as they were very much fighting to get Pilate to kill him. You'd think they would be done, but no. They are there yelling, deriding, making fun of him, throwing parables back into his face, taking all of his teachings and crumpling it up and tossing it at him. And Jesus said, forgive them. What a powerful God. He was willing to forgive them. Verse 36, the Roman soldiers start gathering up in here. The soldiers also mocked him and coming to him and offering him vinegar. Now once again, we could see Jesus Christ is going through dehydration. He hasn't drinking anything since the last supper the night before. He's been losing volumes of blood. The Bible gives a different account where he just says, I thirst. One of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And the Roman soldiers take vinegar, which does not quench your thirst, and take it and rub it against the lips. And what it does is it's going to sting those lips that are now dry and cracking. It's going to make it give him more of a sour taste in his mouth than what's already there. The tongue is already starting to swell up because of the dehydration. And this is going to make it all worse. This is just a, a way of torturing. It's not going to kill him. It's just going to make him a little bit more miserable. As they're making fun of him. And they're all saying, listen, if he's Christ, come on down. If thou be the king of the Jews, save their cells. The gospel record of Matthew now gives where both thieves, malefactors, criminals beside him start to mock him. Both of them begin to do that. And so Jesus is dying on the cross and the worst pain he's ever felt or anybody has ever felt in their life. It is excruciating. Just taking a breath drives more of that spikes into him. He's already lost a tremendous amount of blood. His clothes are being gambled for. The Pharisees are yelling at him. The soldiers begin to mock him. And then this, the two thieves begin to make fun of him. They're dying on the cross and they're making fun of him. Jesus Christ has surround sound of complaining, of jeering, of making fun. He can't even die in peace. It is a miserable, awful experience. You know, sometimes we may get in our mind that we see the three crosses off in the distance. But let me tell you, they're not lonely there. There is tons of people surrounding. They want to watch this event. There are many people beholding. The Bible is going to give that word. That word behold carries the idea watch with wonder. And they're watching this. And Jesus Christ is dying. Notice as it goes on, verse 39, And one of the malefactors which were hanging railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save us and them. But the other one, 
rebuked him saying, Dost thou not fear God seeing that thou were in the same condemnation? Now, before both thieves were yelling. Both thieves were making fun of him. But something happened to the one. What happened to the one? He watched how Jesus suffered. Jesus Christ has suffered like no one else. It's not just being on the cross which was excruciating itself. He had been scourged. He's lost so much blood. You could tell the abuse on his face. His beard being plucked out. He's watching as the Pharisees are yelling. He's watching as the Roman soldiers are mocking him. The thieves have been yelling. And this one thief has been watching the whole time. What has he been watching for? He's been watching for Jesus' reaction. You see, when people are hurting, we usually give them a pass. Oh, they're hurting, that's why they're grumpy. Oh, they're hurting, that's why they're, they're upset. Oh, they're hurting, that's why they're yelling. But Jesus is in awful pain and he's not yelling back. He's not saying, I'm raining down thunder. He's not saying, guys, you watch, you're going to get this. Jesus is saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. There's a lot of people who were not paying attention to that. They think they won. But that one thief has been watching as Jesus has endured all of this pain and is still willing to forgive them. Something happened. May I pause and say that people watch when you suffer? People watch when you're in pain? People watch when you're in hurting. And the best impact that you can have is not when you're having a good day. The best impact you can have on the community around you is when you're having a bad day. And still have the joy of the Lord. Remember that joy of the Lord is not happiness. The joy of the Lord is a peace that comes from God. Because you're right with God. That's what changed the thief's life. If Jesus did not respond properly, that thief would not have gotten saved. And people watch you in your worst days. And they see how you respond. And it's going to attract them to Christ or they're going to say, oh, there's nothing real there. It is very easy to be, behave like a Christian when rainbows and are out, sun is shining and everything's going well. But you let someone hurt you let someone go through some awful things and they still have a joy of the Lord, that's what brings people to Christ. That's when they say there's something to this. So the thief looks down and says, listen, this man has done right. Verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive our due reward. You know what he meant? He says, we're a sinner and because of my sin, we deserve punishment. But this man had done nothing amiss. He said, not only are we sinners and not only do we deserve punishment, Jesus is perfect. He's done nothing wrong. And he said, Lord Jesus, remember me when thou receiveth the kingdom. He realized that Jesus was the only one to save him and that he must personally accept Christ to be his Savior. By the way, that's exactly how anyone gets saved is by recognizing you're a sinner and because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God and you deserve punishment. But Jesus is perfect in your only way out and you must personally accept Christ as your Savior. And now as Jesus Christ is dying on the cross, as He is per currently dying right now, 
he still turned over and won someone to the Lord and someone's in heaven because of Jesus' words. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. <clears throat> we started off by going the way of the cross. Then we see the work of the cross. One more thing, the watching of the cross. The watching of the cross. The gospel record of Luke now records three miracles that happen in this time. Notice what happens to the first miracle in verse 44. <clears throat> and it was about the sixth hour that there was a darkness over the whole earth until the ninth hour. Now remember in the Jewish day that the Jewish day began at 6 a.m. The first hour would be 7, the second hour would be 8, the third hour would be 9 o'clock. And so we come to the sixth hour that would be noon. The ninth hour would be three o'clock in the afternoon. And so the Bible describes that there is a darkness between noon to three o'clock. Now we know that there are some people who try to explain this away that there was an eclipse. I don't know about you, but when's the last time you saw a total eclipse last over three hours? It does not happen. This is a supernatural freaky darkness that the people can tell that the sun is there, but there's darkness here. It is supernatural. People knew that there was something different. This was a miracle that occurred. And of course, it is at this time supernaturally that God, who is Jesus, we know that they're the same. You say, can you explain it further? I can't. But at this point in time, God turned his back on his son. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. And in order for Jesus to pay our punishment, he had to pay that punishment. And for this point action in time, God turned his back and separated himself from God the Son as Jesus paid that price. It was an eerie supernatural darkness as even all of nature is responding to this point where God has turned his back upon his son. Notice in verse 45, and the sun was darkened. Notice the sun was out, but the sun was darkened. It wasn't a cloudy day. It wasn't an eclipse. It was a supernatural darkness. The sun was darkened and the veil of the temple, here's the second miracle, was rent in the mist. Why is this a big deal? Well, inside of the temple, you had a couple parts. On the outside courtyard is where you would bring your sacrifice. And that the people would offer their sacrifice as a recognition that because of my sin, something must die. Then after that, you had the golden laver where the priest, in order to perform the rest of the activities, they had to be washed clean. And so whereas symbolically the blood has to be applied to make to forgive us of our sins, that even after we're saved, we still need to be washed from time to time. First John 1 9, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then after that, you would go into the temple. The first area of the temple would be called the holy place. And inside of the holy place, you had the pictures of Jesus. You had over here the table of showbread. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Over here, you had 
the, the, um, <coughs> the golden candlestick. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. On the very back table you had the altar of incense which represented the prayers going to God. And then you would have a big thick curtain called the veil that would separate from the holy place to the holy of holies. Inside of the holy of holies you had the Ark of the Covenant which was a a physical representation of the presence of God. And only one person once a year was allowed to cross that veil to get access to God. Well, this veil was very interesting because it was a hand thick. Some of you may have curtains at home that, you know, is just... Uh, just a cloth thick, not very thick at all. To have a handbreadth thick cloth, that's a very thick cloth. It's something that doesn't break. It's like a big fire curtain. And what happened, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, that veil was ripped in two, which now showed we have access to God through the shed blood of Jesus, that we can enter boldly into his throne room of grace, that there's no longer a separation, that we all have access to God. That was the second miracle, was this visible representation of something spiritual happening, that Jesus Christ died, that gave every single one of us access to the Father. Anytime that we want, that we can go to God. Now, as we continue to go on, it speaks about verse 45. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in two. And when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, My Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Now as we go back medically to the Lord Jesus Christ, because he has lost so much blood, hypovolemic shock, that... In order to pump what blood is left in his body, his heart now has to beat harder to try to pump what little fluid he has to the rest of his body to keep it alive. Because the heart is working so hard, it is starting to build friction. Around the heart, you have what is called the periocardial sac. Basically, this is a smooth muscle that allows to ease a friction. And a more fluid would start to go into this periocardial sac with the idea that it's trying to ease the friction. But what is happening is as it's filling up with fluid and the heart's still trying to beat, it's actually constricting on the heart. Now the heart has to work even harder in order to pump the blood to the rest of the body. Inside of the gospel record of John, it gave a thing after Jesus gave up the ghost, that it, they took the spear and put it to a side, and blood and water came out. We would expect blood, but where'd the water come from? This periocardial sac. Eventually, this periocardial sac swole up so much that it squeezed and constricted the heart, that the heart could no longer beat. What was the official cardio uh, cause of death? A periocardial infraction, or what we would call Jesus died of a broken heart. That Jesus Christ's heart stopped beating. No more blood was there to pump. The heart could no longer beat anymore. He died of a broken heart, dying for your sins and dying for mine. He died of a broken heart, realizing that the wages of sin is death. And he died it willingly. He volunteered to go on the cross to pay for your price and to pay for mine. And he gave up the ghost. Father, into my, thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died. 
Now when the centurion saw what was done, verse 47, he glorified God. Now a centurion is someone who's in charge of a hundred men. This is someone who's worked his way up to the ranks and he has been familiar with death. And as he's witnessed people crucified many times before, he's never seen someone die like this. Jesus took time to forgive others. He took time to make sure his mother was taken care of. He ignored every insult his enemies hurled at him. He accepted the dying thief. The centurion witnessed the supernatural darkness. Then as Jesus sovereignly gave up the coast, that Jesus was not killed, he willingly gave up the ghost. When the centurion watched all of this, he came to his own conclusion. He said, certainly this was a righteous man. He said, I've never seen anyone die like this before. And we personally believe with this statement that this Roman soldier trusted Christ to be his Savior too. Watching these events that happen. Verse 48. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things that were done, smote their breast in return. They're witnessing these things and they go, wow, the centurion wasn't the only one. Everyone else is watching as Jesus did all of this. And they go, wow, this is amazing. They beheld these things. Notice in verse 49, and all his acquaintance and all the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. This word behold is used several times here. Again, it's to watch with wonder. The centurion watched with wonder. The people watched with wonder. And then in verse 50, we'll cover tonight. Behold, watch with wonder as God puts another thing in action that was impossible to do. But Jesus' followers watched these events. Again, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because that's what we deserve. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. That Jesus Christ died on the cross because He loved us. And because He wanted all of us to have that eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, to have access to God. One of the problems that we have as Christians is that we get used to being saved. We're saved for so long that we become cold and calloused. Songs of the cross no longer stir us. We're used to the sights and the sounds and it no longer moves us. When in fact, the cross should still do something for us to realize that he died for me. Anytime that I start feeling like I'm the man, anytime I feel like I could do whatever I want, what I need is to go back to the cross and realize he died for me. How can I sin against such love? How can I sin against Him when He's done so much for me? It should humble us to look and say, that's what I deserve. I deserve that. It puts us in a place quite a bit when we think about the sin that we're about ready to commit. That death is what we deserve for that one sin. We should look at beholdment to think about Christ willing to die for that. Knowing all the pain that he went through. That they had to invent a brand new word to describe the pain he went through. Excruciating. 
And the thing that he did it willingly because he loved me. Sometimes we get to the place where nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'll eat some worms. And we forget that Christ loved us so much. How can we sin against this great love of his? Sometimes we forget that we can have access to God anytime we want and we try to suffer through or we feel like God is so far away. Jesus died on the cross. He ripped that veil so we could have access to God at any time. When Jesus died on the cross, he did so much for us. We need to spend a lot more time at the cross looking at it, thinking about that mud down at the cross soaked in with his blood. Look at him and not pity him, not feel sorry for the suffering Savior, but look at him gratefully saying, what a great God who would love me that much. There's a lot of problems that can be fixed at the cross. I don't know what you've been going through lately. Maybe it's just the idea that you haven't been suffering right. Sure, you've been going through some hard times, but you've been grumpy about it. Sure, you've been going through some pains, but you've just been excusing your behavior. Let me tell you that Jesus suffered like no man and still left a good testimony and a peace that passeth all understanding. Maybe it's the idea that you've been involved with sin and been cold and calloused. It doesn't matter. It does matter. God has done so much for us at the cross of Calvary. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.